Today I welcome Patrick Ruff, Head of School at Woodside Priory in the heart of Silicon Valley in San Francisco. In this episode, I discuss Benedictine values, future school thinking, celebrating failure, and the importance of mindfulness. When you first took the reins at Woodside Priory last summer, a pandemic was raging. America's streets were filled with protesters demanding racial justice. A presidential race was unfolding in a tense political drama. There were even killer hornets in the news. That's quite a first year. How did you ground yourself amid all those stresses and demands? That's true. It's funny you say some of those things. You know, I forget some of those things, the Hornets in particular. Starting out, you know, part of the reason why Woodside Priory was attractive to me was our core values, the grounding values that really helped animate all that we do. So I really tried to be, you know, faithful to those, you know, that sort of spirituality and hospitality and individuality and integrity and community, and, and really worked to kind of ground our decisions in that, really tried to understand how the school played those values out, how they came to life, and then looked for the people that I thought, you know, kind of embodied those values or understood those values in ways that had the best interests of the Priory in mind. That was probably the most important thing for us as we got started. And then I think it was also, as we were thinking about opening the school, you know, looking at the science and really trying to, you know, see what the recommendations were and then how they applied to us, and then how you know we were able to make decisions so that our students and community could be safe, but then also we could you know do this work of educating young women and young men. You know, you talked about listening to the science. Was was it a really kind of fascinating time for you personally to be really into and interested in the science behind a trying to find the vaccine, the rollout? That must have been something you were personally interested in. I mean, I certainly know more about the nasal cavity than I ever thought I would, you know, at this point. So I kid my brother, who's a doctor. I think I may have gotten my, my MD. I think I may have gotten it last year, just with all the science that I learned. We were blessed here. We had some great people that are connected to our community that are you know, certainly experts in their field of science that really worked as an advisory group for us. And it was people that are on the national level, but then also people on the local level, but all connected, you know, to Priory. So you know, that was very helpful in helping me, you know, just kind of sift through all the data and to understand what would be best for us. Because there was so much coming out. And as you remember in the States, there was inconsistencies with what was coming out. It just wasn't clarity. You know, states looked at things differently. It was really challenging. And as you referenced, right, you know, we were in a political, you know, moment that was tough too. And even with this pandemic, it became political in terms of, you know, how you felt or reacted or responded. And then just the risk tolerance that people had, it was so, you know, the spectrum was so wide. And so really trying to kind of navigate, you know, all of that was difficult. So we really tried to be, you know, kind of out front. I got some great advice as I started you know, the importance of, you know, kind of regular and constant communication, even if we didn't have all the answers. We wrote, you know, a lot and then also you know, webinars or Zoom meetings, just willing to meet anyone anywhere. I see online that the prior students performed a play called Alone Together this last <laughs> school year. I mean, that is the perfect metaphor for the past year plus. How did you personally manage to stay connected with what was a new school community for you and your own personal community of friends and loved ones? It was a great play and our performing arts crew is fantastic. You know, that was one that was really these reflections done by them, you know, about the pandemic and how it impacted them. Super creative and thoughtful and timely. I came into school every day. I felt that was important to be here. You know, there weren't many people here. 
just because the way California was, you know, we were in some pretty clear lockdowns. Obviously, when it was, hey, you cannot leave your house, I didn't come in then. But but other than that, I came in. That was important. You know, I wanted to get to know our campus. It's a big and beautiful campus, 50 acres. So I really wanted to kind of get a sense of that. So that was important. And that helped me connect, you know, to this place. I know when I would do our Zoom calls, you know, I would try and do them from here, you know, as much as possible so that people could see this place, sometimes different parts of our campus so they could see this place. It helped me stay connected to that. And I really just, you know, worked to meet anyone, anywhere, anytime, right? So sometimes it was for a walk, lots of Zoom calls, phone calls, you know, just really willing to engage. Again, we have such a beautiful outdoor space here. You know, we could have people on campus if they were comfortable. So I really tried to make myself available and ready to meet anyone anywhere. And then, you know, with my own close-knit family and great group of friends from Georgetown in particular, you know, we have this monthly Zoom call, which has been great. You know, we just get right back to sophomore year, you know, when you're with these guys. So that's been really helpful. And, and it's been nice. We didn't really talk as much and a lot of texting here and there, but, you know, it's nice to see these guys once a month. So that's been a real gift, you know, from the pandemic. Every school says they're unique. I believe every school is unique, but the Priory really is. It's California's only co-ed Catholic Benedictine college prep school. I know its roots go back about 1500 years, but what is Benedictine education? It's one of the finest forms of education that our, our world's ever seen. There's not a, a culture or a continent that hasn't been touched by what the Benedictines have done. You know, and what I'm so honored and blessed to be an heir to that and look at that responsibility is so critical. A Benedictine education, it's reflective, it's active. It really works to challenge our, our students to understand the gifts and talents that they have. And then to really work to share those gifts and talents, not just for themselves, but in the service of others. It's an opportunity to really reflect and act. And we kind of go back and forth on those things, you know, that we have work to do, but then also we need to also reflect and understand, you know, how that work can impact others, you know, for the good. And, you know, we use science and math and, and history and English Obviously, we want to teach the discipline and the key concepts there, but it's how we teach those things, you know, not necessarily what, but the how. And the how for us is always utilizing those things so that our students can understand they need to share whatever it is that they're doing for the good of others. It's never about me. It's really about, you know, serving other people. You know, I think a Benedictine education is about humility. It's about understanding that I am part of something bigger and that serving really is probably the most important call that we have. And it's about excellence and high standards, recognizing that, you know, we're called to be our best. That's not necessarily being the best, but being our best and really finding the ways that I can grow into that. And we do that by an amazing group of faculty and staff who care not just about what they do, but care deeply about the students. Yeah, we want them to be, you know, great mathematicians and great, you know, scientists. But more importantly, I need them to love and know the students that they have, because when a student is loved and known, then the whole world opens up, you know, for them. With such heritage, there's always a tough blend to have between ancient traditions and bringing it so it's still relevant and fit for purpose today. Do you struggle with translating the traditions and the history into what's relevant today? Or are those values and the traditions that exist within the Benedictine education, are they still easy to translate into what the world needs today? 
I mean, I think, you know, veterinary education, I think if I was boiling it down, it's about authenticity, it's about humility, it's about excellence. I think within that, you know, there's that restlessness, that adaptability, flexibility that has served our world for 15 centuries, right? And we want to put that into our students, in their hearts, and their minds, you know, in their souls. And I think it's that notion of kind of humble excellence that really is applicable still today. And, you know, we think about it in terms of the gifts that we want to give them, whether it's, you know, how they make connections to the real world, how they collaborate with others, you know, how they solve the problems that we can't even imagine that will be present in the next five or 10 years using design thinking principles, you know, really understanding what accountability is how to critically think, how to find solutions that may not be obvious, right? Doing experiments that we don't necessarily know the answers to, connecting with mentors, obviously they're teachers, but also mentors that, you know, may be beyond the campus out in the real world so that we can expand, you know, perspective. I mean, that's what the Benedicts have been doing literally for 1500 years. And I think those things are still almost more relevant today, kind of as we look at you know, the world that we're inheriting. It's global. You can go anywhere in this world within one day. I can get to any place in this world in one day. So we really are interconnected. You have monks on campus. Mm. What role do they Mm. play in the student's educational and spiritual journey? Yeah, they're fantastic. You know, we're blessed. You know, we were founded by seven monks, you know, 60 years ago. And, you know, we're so blessed to have three monks here today. And they are the heart and soul of our community. They are remarkably active, whether it's teaching, helping out with our retreats and service, you know, working, they say mass for us, obviously every day, lead us in prayer, their advisors and mentors. They take this one monk, he's a master woodworker. He's literally built every, you know, kind of pew that we have in our chapel. Their footprint, their heart is infused into our entire campus. So yeah, I spend a lot of time with the monks as well, kind of understanding our school community and getting advice and counsel from them. And they're very accessible to our students. What's amazing to me is how present they are, right? And then how easy they interact and engage with our students. You know, I would think these men who have lived this more, you know, isolated life, this more meditative life, you know, might be difficult for a 15-year-old to see themselves really connecting, you know, with this 80-year-old, very, very holy man. And I think it's their authenticity. I think it's their humility. And then just their genuine desire to be around you know, our students that really is attractive. And that's what connects, you know, our students. And so for me, I love when our students, you know, have that connection and that model, because it's truly remarkable. At the prior, you focus on exploration of the soul, which is very spiritual in itself to do with mindfulness, understanding you, the self, the being. It is almost like a real paradox and a real kind of juxtaposition to having, you know, monks seeing what's going on, you know, monks seeing the world, the way it's changed, seeing 15-year-olds, as you say, what their daily lives encounter when it comes to digital and social. What do they make of it? Did you say they've lived in a very isolated and a very straightforward kind of way? And now the way we live our lives and the way we also need to prepare our children to live their lives is extremely different from 5, 10, 20 years ago. You know, our location, like right here in, in Silicon Valley, you know, this place that is the people here, the economy, the mindset, you know, that, that is Silicon Valley, right? I mean, this kind of venture capital, creativity, risk, genius, right? That really kind of fuels economy and impacts our world. Just the wealth that's here. And then you kind of have these monastery that's literally right there. I think about that juxtaposition. And I do think that they're, the way they make their mark is by being just faithful to their roots and really being just aware that, and they believe it, that God works in them, through them, and for them. And that it's through that context that we can, you know, live this balanced life, that we can be, you know, in this dynamic environment. 
and we can be meditative and we can be thoughtful. And I think, you know, balance, we talk a lot about that word here. Balance is, it is active. It's not simply a passive thing where we want to be static. It's active and we constantly need to kind of be mindful of that. And I think these men are great models, you know, for that, that they can be, you know, kind of with these VCs and kind of making these amazing decisions to impact our, our campus. They pray five times a day, you know, and they have these moments of prayer, which I think really grounds them and helps make sense of the things that sometimes are nonsensical. So in some levels, I love to give our students those gifts because again, when they're 27 and 46 and, and 58, you know, they're going to have moments that are nonsensical. And if they can have a reservoir of experience where, you know, they understand about who they are and, and where they come from and what really grounds them or matters, they're going to be better and, and our world's going to be better. I completely agree with that. And it's about being human. And mm. I think in this 24 7, 365, you know, we're constantly looking for some stimulation on a device in one of the 12 devices we might have access to in our space. And we're finding this burnout, content shock, everyone, we're at this point because we are, we're not used to it as humans to have so much stimulation. And there's an art to be able to step away, actually, to be able to do the meditative ways. And I think having them on campus must be hugely, hugely rewarding for all your students. And having that as an approach, whether it's not necessarily, you know, putting monks on every campus, on every school. But I know that through meditation, mindfulness, understanding self has become a massive part of educational movements. And I'm seeing that around the world. So it's great that you have that naturally. And it's just been part of the fabric of your school. It's a great reminder, right? You know, when we see them around, I mean, they wear their, you know, they wear their robes, their black robes, and we see them around. It is, it's just a moment of, all right, yeah, that is what's important. And let's just remember, you know, who we are and whose we are. And because it's so easy, as you said, to get caught up in what's next, what's next, what's next. You know, how do I feed that, that desire, that hunger to breathe, you know, and to take a moment. I think we're going to continue to see that, particularly as we come out of this pandemic, you know, the, the needs that our, our schools are going to have. You know, it's not simply to try and, you know, catch up, right? We're not going to try and put more in. You know, I do think we need more time next year for students to be on campus or be together, but not more time to cover more material. I think it's more time to engage, more time to, to just to be with. I think that's probably what's going to be most important, you know, for us. And just to be really aware and cognizant of those needs, you know, of our students, because, you know, the technology is going to continue to just fly, it's the health, the well-being, the mindfulness, you know, understanding how to be. That's what's going to be really critical. Yeah, creativity, critical thinking, problem solving. I know that the World Economic Forum had them listed as three most important skills and traits that employers were looking for this year. And they're rewriting them for the next five years. They do it as a prediction. And we do, I agree, you know, catch course content. You know, I know two of my oldest kids are caught up because they're in examination years where they're being tested and tested. And these are big milestones and they've missed lots of content. And it's a real fault of the education system that now they're trying to squeeze in content to get them to this point. And they are struggling because they've not had access to the same level of learning that they had. You can catch up on content. You can find content. We have access to data and content. But what you don't do is you need to have that time, as you say, to reset, to rebalance, to reconnect as people, because we've lost that art as well. I see anxiety in people. Now, even employees coming back to my office, there's anxiety. We've become natural hermits just by the fact that we've been put in this and we're not used to it. But suddenly we're thinking, well, oh, actually, I don't know what the world looks like. So it's great that you see it that way. I'm, I'm completely on the same page as you. And I hope lots of schools around the world absolutely do pick that up because our kids are struggling and they need to have a break. 
yeah, I mean, our kids adapt really well and they've adapted to this kind of more isolated reality and experience. And they're learning how to thrive in that environment. You know, that's not the reality of our world and that's not when our world works best, right? And so I think we do need to kind of give them the tools and the support so that they can re-adapt this kind of socializing world that's so critical. And there is anxiety and fear and those are real and we need to meet people where they are and then help them grow through that. We need to kind of exercise those muscles. That's just the reality of, and a great challenge and a great opportunity. You know, for us to kind of shed a little bit of the, you know, content and the importance of learning this material that, you know, can be easily looked up on whatever kind of site you have and to really focus in on the skills that are going to, you know, carry them through. And you mentioned three of the most important ones. You can't search Siri on that, right? You got to have experiences, you know, to learn that. And it's usually experiences where I'm, I'm looking at someone in the eye or I'm figuring out how to work with this person who I don't understand, or I'm, I'm making a mistake and I'm learning from that. You got to get a little messy again, but that's what's exciting. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. You're a student athlete. If sport can build values, what does that mean and what sort of values? I think the co-curriculars, like sport being one, but certainly theater and music and orchestra, robotics or model UN, you know, clubs like that. Like, I think those are the last classroom of the day. We learn how to value hard work. We learn how to set goals. We learn how to work with people that are different than us. We learn how to be a part of a team how to lose or fail, right? And then hopefully we learn, you know, from that and how to get a better result the next time. And I think those skills are so important, you know, just in life. And the thing about those kinds of things, whether it's sports or or the orchestra or the choir or the play, you know, the student chooses that, right? Here in the States, you have to take English every year. So you don't choose that, right? Now, I think we have great teachers and great courses, which kids can choose, but they don't have a choice, right? But here they choose to go play basketball or soccer or football or tennis. So there's an interest there. So we can capitalize on that interest and really, you know, help deepen those skills that I think are just so life-giving and critical for us as we go forward. Getting out and doing the things that interest you, that make you thrive is good for the person, good for the Mm -hmm. student. And that's what we want. Being told you must do things, it doesn't fit with everybody. And so having great opportunities to pick up all those co-curricular things you said, whether it is through sports, art, drama, robotics, you know, whatever it is, they choose to do that because they have an interest. And that's what we want. You know, I'm doing what I do because I'm passionate about it. I've ended up here because I've followed my passion, you know, inspiring schools to share their stories, my purpose of this business. And I completely and utterly believe it. And we believe it. But, you know, if someone has said to me, you know, by the way, you're just going to have to go and be a corporate and do these things and do it their way. You kind of just lose interest. We've got to make sure that our kids do not go through a cookie cutter education to an off the peg life. And that's what we have right now, right? I mean, if you really think about it, it is, it's eight to three. You take these six subjects, right? You take them for about an hour a day, right? You eat some lunch, you take a break, and then you go home and do some homework and then you do it again. And you do that from September, you know, kind of through May. And it's been like that, you know, for the modern era. I hope, you know, from this pandemic, right, some of the things that I think about, you know, time together is important, but how we use that time may be a little bit different. Consistency is important. I found that, you know, our students, you know, the could be a hybrid this week, you know, you might be in this week and off this week, and we're going to meet in the morning here and the afternoon there, right? You know, that consistency is really hard for a student kind of as they're forming kind of their own, you know, mindset. 
And then I think more instructional time. And again, not to cram more in, but that more time together. Those things, we do need to be courageous in trying to make some shifts, you know, so that we can really help our students grow. And if we're not courageous, then we're going to be the same as we are. And that would be tragic when we don't take the moments to be bold and be courageous. And school's a safe environment to take risk and fail. Again, it's almost this opposite where we send kids to school to succeed and it's about passing and success and we measure them and then schools themselves are measured in their own league tables and hierarchy. And it's it kind of it bewilders me because, you know, we're never going to get kids to take risks, to be courageous, because, you know, you look at everyone in Silicon Valley that surrounds you. That's what they've all gone and done. You know, and they've all just taken a chance and they haven't stuck at going to college and stayed in college. That's the funny story when you think about Silicon Valley is that most haven't even finished college. They've just gone, they've got to these great places and then gone, hey, got a great idea. And that's the thing. They've been excited and do it. So so do you teach anything about failure? Do you get kids to talk about failure and to celebrate how they then challenge themselves to pick themselves up and move on? You know, pre-pandemic, we had this fail forward Friday and the theory was teacher you try something on Friday, you know, that's a risk. It may not be successful. And probably, you know, parts of it aren't going to be successful because you're being bold, you're dreaming big. And the theory was, the mindset was, listen, we want to show, demonstrate, model for our students about we're willing to take risks. We're willing to kind of put ourselves out there and fail. I think the key, and this is where I think we short sell it, it's the failure is one thing, but then it's the reflection and then the action that comes from that reflection or that experience. You have that experience of failing, but then we need to reflect on it. And then hopefully that leads to more action, right? And that's the part that we don't, we talk, ah, you failed. Oh, like, okay, what's next? As opposed to, ah, you failed, you're done, it's over. The F is on your transcript. It should be, no, 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 no. So now what? So that didn't work. So let's figure out what does work. And I think that's where we, we don't always, because we just know this one way. It's your cookie cutter. We just know the one way, right? There's a lot of ways to get there. We got to be comfortable and confident enough to say, all right, I'm going to help you get there. No, I love it. And you know what? We've got to restart Fail Forward Friday. We're doing it. I mean, there's no question. I'm coming off the back of this. I think it's absolutely brilliant. You know, I like the alliteration on it. We can roll it. But it just encourages you to kind of go out there. And I'd like it in terms of, it, you know, the experience of reflection, but the action. You know, it's not just done in isolation for a bit of PR or it sounds good. We should be doing it. There's meaning to it and direction. And that's what you need on those things. Yeah, I mean, we've been blessed. I mean, I've been blessed to talk to a lot of just really successful people, you know, inevitably, and I love asking them just about kind of how they got to where they got and what happened in their story. And inevitably, Simon, they're the things that they tell me that, that were the most impactful on them is when they failed. It's when they were, we thought we were going here and then we lost everything and had to go here. Right. And then, and then we thought this deal was going through and then we lost, you know, or whatever it was. And, you know, my business model was this, and then this happened. So I had to figure, right. It's amazing to hear those stories the best thing is that that's not the end. Like it's not the, and then we lost it. And then we did this, right? And then we, through this experience, through this reflection, you know, we decided to go here. And again, it takes some courage. And to your point, it takes confidence. I think if I could give any gift to our students, it would be that kind of self-confidence, self-esteem, not cockiness, right? But that, that self-confidence to know that I have gifts and that I'm good enough and that I can go out and do whatever it is that I want and can do. Right. And again, not that I'm going to make more money than anyone else or I'm going to be the best at this or be the best at that. But, but I've got this confidence, this innate confidence that I'm going to be authentic to who I am. And that is a really good thing. But that's countercultural, Simon. That's hard. 
Yeah, no, it's very difficult with the social generation because they don't get to see the authenticity. Authenticity, you have to scrape back loads of digital layers because peer groups, that self and belonging is much more difficult now in the way they see themselves within their peers. But if we set ourselves and said, no, you know, authenticity is what we want, confidence, and that's all I want for my children. We get caught in this loop of they've got to be the best at. Because, you know, we compare everything because it's so easy to compare because it's so present. It's ubiquitous, right? You get kind of caught up in the keeping up with the Joneses. You kind of go, well, you know, well, it's expectations. You know, it's a bragging right. You know, my kids' SATs or these college offers, you just can't help yourself. You want to break away, but you go, okay, how am I going to do that? Because we're stuck in this system. If you could wave a magic wand and change maybe the way that you could deliver education your way without any of these blockers, what would you remove and what would you change? I would really work to ground it in experiences. I would really work to have our students spend less time in the classroom and more time hands-on doing, working in industry, internship model or the apprentice model. So they go and spend time with these people and then work on, I think this is probably the thing that I would love to do the most, work on, on real problems. In science, we do experiments that we know the answer to, right? We know when we put you know, this liquid with this gas, this, we know that there's going to be, and there's something about learning how to do those things, but wouldn't it be great to do experiments that we don't know the answer to, right? Like, we don't know, I don't know what this was going to be like, or let's figure out what's really germane to this area, right? For us, you know, we've got the Pacific Ocean, you know, desalination is a, we're in a water shortage. So can we desalinate, you know, the water? Wouldn't it be great to spend time on that, you know, if that's your interest or, gosh, you know, cars and emissions and electronic vehicles are super popular here in in California. So how do we know where charging stations need to be? And and how do we find the places where charge? Like, it would be unbelievable to say, all right, group of 12 sophomores, you study charging vehicles, charging stations, you study land use and figure out where in the state we should have charging, you know, stations and how many do we need? And yeah, it works cross-curricular, cross-discipline. You get to have a lot of everything, but you're solving something. You're understanding the reality of it all. There's also something really exciting that I follow. It's called Prize X, which is, have a look at that. I'll send you a link. And they're trying to solve massive problems. But what they don't do is they don't go after corporates and go, by the way, we've got this massive problem. They literally throw it out there and they're looking for entrepreneurial people to come together. And, you know, there's big prize money. It's like $100 million if you can solve, you know, how to get rid of the plastic in the ocean. But what that does is that incubates innovators to be able to come together with the scientists, with the creatives, with the business thinkers. And they all come together and they go, okay, we're going to solve this. There is a prize there, but the prize actually, I just want to show you that we can do this and we're not going to rely on big pharma, big tech, who kind of becoming a bit cumbersome and, and almost in a cartel where they control everything. And it's brilliant. And we've almost got to filter that bit down locally to have mini prizes or these X prizes, they call them, to be able to go after it. So have a look. I will. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Yeah, I think so. The more we can get our students off campus, I think the better we're going to be. The learning has to expand beyond the walls of the classroom. It has to. So, so blessed here. I mean, we live, you know, in an area where there is so much around us, but again, in a world where you can kind of be anywhere, anytime. So, and even connected, you know, through technology too, but getting out, having those experiences, I think that's what's critical. 
The best leaders use their educational experiences to lead in transformative ways. What do you look for in inspiring leadership? And are there any inspiring leaders in education or outside of education that you kind of follow and you'd recommend to the listeners? Well, let's see. Yeah, I, I do. I think leadership at its core, right, that leadership really is about serving. I think it's about giving power away. People talk about, hey, you're the head of the school. You have all the power. Maybe. But I think my job is to really give the power away and give the authority to the people that, you know, are closest to the action and support them in ways that they can you know grow and develop. So I, I think leadership is really about, it's about service at the end of the day. You know, I know I've used this word a couple of times. I do think humility is such a big part of it and being humble. And it's humble enough to know where I fit and what I do. And that there are a lot of bright, hardworking people that can support the work it should never be about one. It should be about a team, at least for me. And what you bring is energy and vision. As you look beyond, obviously, the last year plus being thrown into a, this quagmire of global mess and everything, what lies ahead for you in the Priory? This last 45 minutes has been extraordinarily invigorating, energizing. I feel that if we put you in charge of education here in the UK, you would make a huge difference. But you're not here helping us. What are you going to do? What lies ahead? For us, I, I think it really is being consistent with our values and really working to manifest those values in 2021 and, and being ready to do them in 2025 and 2030. So setting that up. And I think, you know, to me, that's investing in our faculty and really, you know, working to help develop, you know, them, but also supporting them in the work that they are doing because we have some extraordinary ones here. You know, I think it's investing in those areas beyond the classroom that are so impactful. Um, so really working to connect to industry and business that is, you know, in our backyard. We want to make sure that our facilities match our goals and bring our values out. So, you know, kind of pragmatically, we have some work to do there. And then really, again, I think, you know, being kind of going back to the beginning, sensitive to that Benedictine tradition that, that has animated us and really working to, you know, help bring that to life and just be authentic to that. I think we have all the building blocks here at Priory to really impact our world and to send our graduates out you know, so that they can lead. And again, I think that's serving. I think that's where we make that connection. You're driving quite an exciting car right now. It does feel like people want to be part of that journey. As you say, you've got all the right building blocks. The road ahead is never easy. But if you lived into all the things we've talked about and helped drive that change, I think it's a very exciting time. And, you know, your community at the Priory are going to be extraordinarily lucky, but also your local area. And hopefully that will then transcend across education. So I look forward to seeing what you're doing at Woodside. Patrick, it's been an immense pleasure. Thanks ever so much for joining me today. No, thank Thank you, Simon. And thanks for all the work you do as well. Just bringing schools together, connecting people in this area. It's just tremendous. It's really inspiring work that you do. So grateful to be part of it. You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.